You could bring home the bacon, but why stop there? When you shop with Randall's for you, you can bring home the entire breakfast. The bacon, the eggs, the pancakes, and more. You can bring home great rewards, personalized deals, and points to redeem on groceries and gas. You can even bring home a free treat on your birthday. Sounds like we're going to need a bigger frying pan. Become a free Randall's for you member today. No purchase necessary. Download the Randall's Deals and Delivery app and feed your joy. Visit randalls.com slash for you for program details. Are you ready? Let's make some noise. Come on. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest edition of the Broad Street Line. I am Roy Burton. Alongside me, as always, my tag team partner, although he might not be my tag team partner after the end of this show, one Chris Domingo. Mr. Domingo, how are you doing? As always, during the pandemic, air quote, Saturday morning, sir. Roy, I think we've been in the mix for a slammy for best tag team, but I heard mm. that the booker has announced that there are six-man tag team championships coming up, so we had to recruit are i i i guess the newest member of our uh new world order well here well here's the thing though because because again like i, I thought you were going to leave me and, and kind of ditch me for our guest actually i should say now since he's been on the program two times he's mm-hmm. now an official friend of the program we should say second appearance on the broad street line we are pleased to welcome once again the author of a philly's odyssey exploring the forgotten players of fighting yesteryear with us our good friend, Dave Ruder. Dave, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, Dave. Roy, Katie, thank you for having me. Hey, listen, like I just, as someone who has always wanted to write a book, I'm impressed that you were able to write two within a year. So first of all, congrats on the new book. Again, about the the Phillies. Um, again, the Forgotten Players of Fighting Yesteryear, meaning the Forgotten Players are basically your, my childhoods, and Chris's childhood, and adulthoods, and, and things like that. Um, we had you on about a year ago uh, to talk about your old book. A Sixers Odyssey, and we'll get into that in a second. But let's start with this, because I want to talk about this new book, obviously. Um, this new book, was it written kind of as a reaction to the response you got from your last book? Because you got a really good response from what we can right. see, on at least on Twitter. Was it written as a response to that, or was this, as an, was this, this an entirely separate kind of passion project for you? Uh, partly both, right? So uh, I was kind of blown away by the response of A Sixers Odyssey, because it really is as niche as niche of an audience as you can get. Uh, it's basically saying, who are these obscure players you haven't thought about in 25 years? Here's 270 pages devoted to it. So, I mean, that says, uh, it's not going to crack the <laughs> New York Times bestseller list there for sure. So uh, it was kind of this like passion project that really had a larger audience than I anticipated based off the reaction from the Sixers Odyssey. A Phillies Odyssey along the same lines is when I had this blog, I was really primarily focused on the Birds, Sixers, and the Eagles. So there was, a, again, a, a bunch of Phillies essays that I had just stored up for the last 10 or 12 years or so. So mm-hmm. once I got the reaction of Sixers Odyssey, and then the feedback was, for the most part, pretty positive. I go, oh, well, I kind of already have the groundwork for a, a second book. And then about a couple months after a Sixers Odyssey, I kind of got the itch again. I was just like, I'm going to write one. Uh, and then things just snowballed, and here we are for uh, for part two. So the sequel is uh, always as disappointing, always more disappointing <laughs> than the original. So lower your expectations accordingly if you read the first one and now you're reading the second one. No, that, that, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. Dave, I, there, there are some things I never do for this show. Research. What I did was I went back to our – the last time we had you on, and I wanted to get, like, I don't know, 
like to hear again your process of writing a book. Is the is the process the same when you're kind of writing WrestleMania too? <laughs> it would be right. So uh, it's funny you mentioned WrestleMania too because obviously I'd watch it. I'd watch WrestleMania too. Uh, in this case with the Phillies Odyssey, it's I don't think I quite realize this. How many random baseball games have been uploaded to YouTube? Mm-hmm. And there was times, and I knew I was in deep. Uh, this was post All Star break this year. The Phillies, you remember, had a two game set in Yankee Stadium. This is when the Phillies, this is before they went like eight games in a row and kind of got back in the race. This is when his team was dead on arrival. There's nothing good was uh, happening with the rotation, et cetera, et cetera. And they're playing a two game set uh, with the Yankees. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm going to fire up YouTube. And I watched like a Matt Beach start from like 1997 <laughs> while the Phillies were on, the real Phillies, the present day contemporary Phillies were on TV, fairly still competitive in Annalise at that time. And then I was like, man, Dave, like, you got to finish this now because now you're just like you're going back in time to seeing right. a bad team and bad players. Uh, but to answer your question, KD, yeah. So I would try to uh, watch anything I could find. Tony Longmire hit three pinch hit home runs in 1995. I found two <laughs> of them. I found two of them on YouTube. Uh, and I wanted to kind of see like what that looked like, what Harry Callis's reaction was, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like the first two days is really just reading, watching anything I can find. And then about the mm-hmm. next three, four days, it's uh, writing it uh, just like a rough draft. And obviously I write about three or four different versions after the first draft is complete. And just along those lines, because again, like, you know, you know, writing a book, you know, there's the writing of the book, the, you know, the kind of going to like your basement or wherever you go to write and kind of writing the book. But again, after that, you have to publish it. You got to, you know, you know, find somebody to you know do all that stuff and get the cover art, all that stuff. Since you already had the first book in the can, Sixers Odyssey, did you find like this was this process of doing all the other stuff? Was that easier for you this time around? It was a little bit easier in the fact that I kind of knew what to do and who to go to right i had the okay. same uh i had the same cover mm-hmm. artist uh, a guy named ernon Wright in florida that's terrific work he did the cover for sixers odyssey i just reached out to him again uh he did mm-hmm. a cover for the second piece there so the same thing as far as formatting the book and kind of visually how it looks like there i think where i struggled with is that i really wanted to get this book out before christmas right i just seems like holidays is when people are you know, finding books for themselves or finding books for others as gifts there. So in my mind, I was like, I know I can get this book out by Christmas. And then all of a sudden it was Halloween. I was like, oh, I don't have much time. <laughs> and I think that's where <laughs> it wasn't so much. I didn't know what to do is I was right. I was up against the clock a little bit. So I think that was the biggest challenge. But regarding the process, I was pretty comfortable with. Uh, I had a lot of I made a lot of mistakes the first time around. I was able to kind of clean up the second time around just based off experience. Again, we're talking with Dave Ruder, the author of A Phillies Odyssey, Exploring the Forgotten Players of Fighting Yesteryear. Um, Dave mentioned Christmas. Again, you can find this book on Amazon or wherever you know great books are sold. Again, it's an awesome book. Um, I guess the second in his, his Odyssey series, if you will. We'll ask him if it's going to be. There's going to be a third one coming up soon. But we'll I'm get waiting that in a little, for the a I'm waiting bit. for the Beverly Brothers Odyssey <laughs> or, 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 or the Wrestling Challenge Odyssey. That's a very niche audience. That is yeah, very. very I'm I'm writing a book for yourself, KD. I would buy 5,000 copies and just hand them to strangers. No, and I'm glad you said that, Dave. It's it's a very good point because because you said you know you're writing a book for you know writing a book for yourself. But I know a lot of the stuff that at least we used to write for Liberty Ballers. Like a lot of the stuff we wrote for Liberty Ballers. I mean, it was great that people, other people, enjoyed it and liked and things like that. But a lot of the stuff that we wrote, we kind of wrote for each other. And so I think that's one of the things where it's like. 
you know, we're like, I know you appreciate like, you know, everybody's compliments about Sixers Odyssey and things like that. But I think when writers compliment other writers and when you hear from other writers that this is good stuff, I think it resonates a little bit more. Am I, am I wrong on this or? No, I, I think you're right. Right. As far as, especially the Liberty Ballers crew and the, how many good writers there were. And I, I've been sending some copies to a couple of our former colleagues uh, on that mm-hmm. front there. And right. It is kind of that justification there where it's, you're writing it for a wider audience, but the people that you know, the people who also write who are in kind of in that industry, if they like it, there is certainly a, a reward there. Uh, this is so obscure, but there is this one joke. And when I'm writing this, uh, I stop laughing at stuff I wrote like after the seventh, eighth, ninth time, because I know what jokes are coming. But the first <laughs> two times, I'll still kind of chuckle to myself if I write something that I think is good. And I actually had a reference, and this is even obscure for me, obscure wrestling reference, KD, where I compared Greg Jeffries to Alex the Pug Porto, who was a WWF wrestler for a hot man in like 1995, <laughs> 1996. And I, and I went back and I was like, boy, no one's going to get that one. So I took that out. But <laughs> at the time, I was like, I should leave this in. Like, this is a really obscure, this is a really good reference. And if you, if you really know, you're going to appreciate it and laugh. And then I'm like, Dave. There may be like three and a half people on this planet that's going to get that <laughs> reference. You got to think a little bit broader, but uh, that's just one example where it's just sometimes you have to, okay, Dave, this may make you laugh, but keep in mind, <laughs> you're not <laughs> buying your own book. By exactly. the way, uh, this isn't like, I, I'll just add to the pandering. I I go to your Twitter account at where is Ben Rivera for just, <laughs> if I am just having a crummy day, I just see your site and I, and I saw last night, you referenced the wizard and double dragon. I literally was dying because no, like there are eight point four people on this planet that probably <laughs> watched this in the movie theater. I was one of them. Like I don't know. Like I, I remember I like told, I asked begged my sister to take me take me to watch the wizard, and I'm just like, oh my god! Like I, now I feel, but like it does it feel good to know that like I don't know there is this like that you've kind of created this niche that and more importantly there are people that that are eating it up <laughs> i appreciate the fact that people like what i have to say i think to me that's the most redeeming thing it is certainly not about how many copies i sell i mean obviously i understand this is a passion project this is not my full-time job and never with my full-time job but the fact that when i do get feedback uh, of people saying i like the book or a Sixers Odyssey. I had someone say that uh, I think he was stationed overseas and mm-hmm. his father caught the book and he bought a copy for himself and sent it to his son overseas. And they were reading it together and like talking about former That's Sixers, awesome. like mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, man, like, uh, you know, I may be dead inside, but even now I was like, wow, like, you know, it's just <laughs> stuff like that where it's just like, oh, that's that's kind of the, the vindication that I need that maybe this has an audience that, you know, they appreciate, they kind of know what I was going for. So stuff like that and the feedback that I've gotten there, it's been super positive and it's, uh, it's been great to hear. And, and speaking of the audience of the book, I mean, I, I know like this one was probably a little bit, well, maybe I'll ask you the question. Was this one a little bit tougher? Because again, like the, the, the span of, again, Phillies that you could have put in this book is pretty large. I mean, like there's a, there are a lot of guys that you could have put in this book. Like I was, you know, thinking, you know, like just going through the list of the guys in the book you could probably take out half the guys in the book and then replace them with, you know, another 20 yeah. or 25 guys and not miss a beat um, and things like that. 
Um, do you think it's because you do you think it's because you know like just baseball rosters are bigger, or is it because that you know guys of our generation, you, me, and Chris's generation, we kind of grew up with baseball, so we kind of know those right. you know the the twentieth guy, the twenty first guy on the Phillies roster, as opposed to like the, because you the had the, the rookie the part bench. that right. cost thirty five cents mid condition <laughs> in a sleeve. <laughs> thirty five cents, but we're still putting it in sleeves. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. It's absolutely. a rookie. You got to take. It's absolutely. an investment. You got to take care of that. <laughs> uh, boy, I think you're right, and uh, I think baseball just, and I think this is a problem that baseball has in general, is that it just skews older, right? Mm-hmm. So I think a Sixers odyssey. I purposely included more guys from the last ten years or the process years because I think the fan base really jumped when Hinky came on board. Right. So there's probably about twelve or thirteen guys from a Sixers odyssey that. I certainly did not include that many from about 2012, 2013 on in the Phillies tenure because in the last decade, since 2011, what have the Phillies done? Like, does anyone, can anyone tell me one thing different between the Pete McCannon years and the Ryan Sandberg years? It's the same guys, it's the same team. So like, it wasn't that, uh, that excitement or that energy. Whereas I think, or kind of what I was banking on is that unfortunately the problem baseball has is that it skews a bit older. Yeah. So I think I went back to a little bit more late 80s, 90s, and not as many players uh, from the last 10 or so years ago, because I think that's what uh, our age, Roy, our generation, we kind of relate back to our childhood and the guys that we remember, right? Like, Roy, I can probably ask you to name the 93, 25-man roster from the NLCS team, and I bet you can name it in three minutes flat, right? right. So I think I'm just banking on that there is that is baseball the sport that was so much more popular, it seems, from our childhood. So I wanted to kind of touch on those players that uh, came from our youth. Now, Dave, I uh, like just, um, no, like, cause just reading this book, it, it gave me an appreciation for how much I loved, like baseball was, well, wrestling was my first love, but like it, of the four sports, baseball was like what we, what people in our demographic grew up in, grew up with. And do and you're probably still a baseball fan, but like, I don't know, like, did, did writing this book, like, I don't know, make you a little more nostalgic for, like, I don't know, that period where, like, I don't need that period, but, like, I'd like, like, I don't know, some of that to come back? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I Actually, the intro of the book on Amazon is a chapter on Omar Dahl was about uh, my best friend, BK, talking ourselves into the return from the Kurt Schilling trade, right? We traded mm-hmm. Kurt Schilling in 2000 or 2001. Uh, to Arizona and it's my friend and I on our parents' landline and 2000 people AOL was around but like not but yeah. and it is today there's no Twitter <laughs> back in 2000 right. and right. It's just like my friend and I just saying like yeah like Vicente Padilla like he throws gas and like <laughs> Figueroa he's a pitch to contact guy like he, he throws strikes and, I'm, and I, was, I was like remembering a conversation I remember it so vividly and I was writing about it I was like BK and I didn't know anybody who 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 are we, how are we getting these ideas in our head about some random double-A pitcher from the Arizona farm system right. that all of a sudden my buddy and I were talking ourselves and like was like, oh, he's basically, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the next John Smiley. I don't know, just random. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's another name for you. And I think thinking back to that, KD, and thinking about like those conversations that I had uh, with my buddy or just these random, these rookie players or these young players uh, – People love Tony Longmont, Tony Longmire. Ricky Otero was my guy. Yeah. I believed in Mike Grace. Mike Grace had those awesome <laughs> stuff, right? And I think there was a kind of an innocence, I guess, is the best yeah. way to put it, about uh, 
you know, to me, it didn't matter that like when you're like nine, 10 years, you're old, you're not really basically thinking, oh, well, the Phillies need a tank, right? They need to get a number one draft pick. It was just like, hey, the Phillies are 35 games under, but Mike Grace is pitching at Olympia Stadium. Uh, we got to beat the Expos. Like, I, I'm, you weren't <laughs> thinking like that. Everything was so short term uh, as far as your <laughs> memories. And I kind of touched upon that. I hope to in the Omar Dahl chapter kind of bring up, bring that to light there. When you're a kid, you don't think so far in your in advance. Like right. we loved Omar Dahl from the Kurt Schilling return because Omar Dahl was the only guy we heard of. We're like, oh, right. he's a starting pitcher. Great. We need him to start three days from now, you know, in, in Colorado, and we'll take it from there. So, yeah, Katie, I, I certainly think you uh, have a point there, and it did bring back all these memories of, like, this innocence of just, like, advanced stats and saber metrics. Like, it just didn't matter. Not that it, it wasn't important back then, but as a kid, it just didn't – it wasn't in your forefront. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because it, it reminds me – I want to say it's a Matt Beach chapter. You, you'll correct me when, when I'm wrong, but it's the chapter where you're – you and your your office mates are kind of huddled around the computer and you're watching well the game cast uh back in and, you, and you're and you're just kind of going through and balls and strikes because again like back then we didn't have you know you can't couldn't go on twitter to you know to watch the game live or you couldn't you know you couldn't you know follow along like you couldn't turn it on like we can just basically every game now i think there was something i think that adds a little bit of i don't know what the, the word is but i think that adds a little something to it whereas like you know back in the old days we had to kind of work to kind of like find out like what was going on right. in the baseball game if we weren't near tv and i don't I, I sound like the old you know crotchety old guy but it's like i don't think it's the same for kids anymore because again no we are like, no no i think <laughs> we need to lean into we are the old guy like i not like we well no and i think that like like i don't know and that's why box scores like i don't know box scores meant something like i don't know and like i don't know i can lament forever about steroids but like when you saw like i don't know like you can like i don't know you could look at a box score and say oh man steve jeltz went 0 for four and three strikeouts his batting average is like 210 and it's like oh wow like i don't know i remember that season he stunk the entire no and like you'll like and like i don't know like i'll still remember like when Mark Witten hit four home runs or five home runs or something. And I looked at the box score and I'm like, oh my God, I never see four in front of HR. Like I know, and, and that's why like I, I've always said baseball is baseball is the number sport. Well it was. Like I don't know. Now everything's just so skewed that like none of these none of these current numbers mean anything to old guys or really young guys. Because like I don't know, there's like I, I tell Roy all, all the time, what's the home run record? And they'll say, no, it's 755. Like, and that's why like baseball meant something. That's why the baseball cards meant something. That's why all this, because like they had these finite numbers on here where like, I don't know. I probably remember Don Mattingly's batting average in 1987. No, but like, just, you know, I'm saying like, I think it's a little bit of that magic is kind of lost these days, even though, cause you know, even, you know, you know, past the box score era because again like i've sat in front of my computer like we all have and i'm looking at the game cast and i'm like looking at the you know like, you know the, the little red dots for strikes and all that other stuff and it's like because i mean that's all we had you know in certain cases to kind of follow baseball games if we were you know not near a tv or, or anything like that whereas you know again kids growing up these days it's really not the same and, and i think that's i don't think that the the i guess the passion for the for any of these sports is really going to be there to the level that we had it maybe maybe you disagree dave no, I agree. And uh, right, I think like that's commitment, right? Is when you're like right. hitting that refresh button. Yeah, man. <laughs> it was it was it was the Phillies Marlins. It was the Jeff Conine game, and I was a sophomore in college. I was hitting that refresh button over and over again, 
and Kevin Millwood just had one job. He had to get Jeff Conine out. He had one job. And I just saw the in-play runs, and just your heart just sank. Yeah. Because you don't know. Was it opposite field? Uh, did, he, did he hang a curveball? Did he throw right. a meatball 88-mile-per-hour fastball? You're in the dark, and all you just know is Jeff Conine hit a three-run homer, and, like, this is the worst day of my life, right? <laughs> <laughs> But you We're remember that, about, right? Yeah, you remember that. Yeah. Even just like uh, the Mark Witt in the four home run game that KD mentioned there. Like, I've never seen that on SportsCenter. It mm-hmm. feels like the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Because it's just like whoever's doing, whoever's working SportsCenter, just one home run. Like, now he's up in a 30. And you're just like, oh my God, he's going to keep hitting him. He keeps hitting him. And like those memories, they don't they don't leave you. No, and, I and, think. Oh, yeah. sorry. sorry right? no, and I think <laughs> that those things were our social media, the SportsCenters. The, the like the the newspapers like i don't know these were our ways to like to like absorb this like and like i don't know like and, and, it, and it makes it a little more permanent because like i don't know tweets just feel like very like no pun intended fleeting like i don't know like they're just out like other than the bad ones but i feel that like that's like like there was some permanency or like i think that's a word but like i don't know when you had an 87 card like i don't know that's why you have a big ass 1987 top baseball card pack in, in, in the back like because that meant something like i like baseball cards don't mean anything to like the last 20 years right and the thing is with baseball though like again just kind of tie it all together there's always there's like a thousand of those guys like a thousand like the mark i can just name you know i can name random guys and you can and they'll instantly click things and you're like i can say kevin moss and you know who i'm talking about like i can say yeah. you know call toughy Rhodes. okay well you know him i can say jim abbott you know like there's certain guys you just throw names out and there's a million of those guys in baseball there were at least back again back when we were growing up i don't know if there's like five or ten of those guys yeah. in the league now now, like, like, <laughs> now do you think if you just created us three, but 20 years younger. Do you mm-hmm. think that, like, they, like, I'm not even going to pretend I even know, like. Who's Tuffy Rhodes, man? Who's Tuffy Rhodes? No, like, I don't know. Like, like I don't even know the guys who have 40 home runs. And I right. and, 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 and I have a podcast, for God's sake. But, like, I don't know if, like, I don't know, like, these these completely innocuous players that, like, I don't know. Like, uh, like I mean, there's no reason I should know that Kevin Mons went on, like, the th- the hottest three month streak since like look like Mattingly for crying out loud like and right. then I run and like I don't know go to every baseball card show and like say oh my god can I get all like how much is this Kevin Miles rookie card thirteen dollars exactly. I'm like oh my god that's crazy that's gonna be worth like hundred and thirty dollars in like six months exactly. how much is that Kevin Miles rookie card right now <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know like I don't know like I I think I have it in like a shoebox with like a with with, with like a screw case. Well, we're not gonna get you the next. Uh, we'll get you the next Beckett's pricing guide. We'll say exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can you can price the, the Kevin Moss and the Brian Taylor card and see if you can see if you can buy yourself <laughs> no, something nice think, with those. No, but I think like I don't know. That's why like I think baseball is a very universal like for our age group. It's just something that you can like endless like because I think a lot of like like basketball. I don't know like I don't know us. Yes, but. I think you can go to any person that is our age that can rap about like baseball in the eighties or nineties. I, I think it's for real because that's what they attach to. Like I don't know, and right. like you really do remember more from your childhood than you do from like the last like ten years of sports. I, I mean, I can't rem- like other than like a couple like the the Super Bowl and like some random Sixers games. I can't like regurgitate what happened in 
for the 2014 Eagles? <laughs> I think well, do you have uh, when you're a kid, you don't have any responsibilities. So it's easy to just know like, every player of every team. But now I'm just like, I, I wish I could tell you and say I watch like, a bunch of different NBA games. I'm like watching the third quarter of a Sixers game because I'm putting like my kid to bed. Like I'm lucky to see like two quarters of a Sixers game. Right. I can't be watching, uh, you know, Hornets Pelicans. I got to take the <laughs> word for it, you know. I got to have them do the heavy lifting there. But I think when you're a kid, it's easy to just know all these guys and all these players because, like, what else were you doing? You didn't have a you didn't have a full time job. Yeah. You had to go yeah. to school till three o'clock, and then you know you're <laughs> off the clock, you know. <laughs> Again, we're talking with Dave Ruder, the author of A Philly's Odyssey, Exploring the Forgotten Players of Fightings Yesteryear. You can follow Dave on Twitter at, at Where's Ben Rivera. Um, Dave, let me ask you the same question we asked you with the first book. How did you pick the guys? Like, How did you pick these guys that you settled on for this book? It was a struggle, Roy. I'm not going to lie. There's a ton of guys. There is a ton of guys. A ton of guys. Baseball. The rosters are huge. The 40-man rosters, 162 games. It means more guys are showing up and playing. Uh, it was not easy. Uh, when I wrote a Sixers Odyssey, I was really comfortable. And I, a bunch of people on Twitter will say, when's the next Sixers Odyssey? And I'm like, <laughs> No, no, <laughs> that journey is over. No, like, I don't know. There's no more. Like, you can't write about Henry Sims. Like, I don't know. Or, I already like, did. I already <laughs> did. <laughs> no, 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 I think, but I think if you wanted to, like, I don't know, a Phillies, because I would love to see a field of 64 how Dave chose these guys. Because right. like there has to be a great decision tree to say, oh, am I going Tony Longmire or am I going <laughs> like I don't um I'm trying to think Darren Ruff. Like right. I, or like yeah like were, were were you a rough rider or were you like <laughs> like part of the, the Padilla flotilla? Right. Uh, and I think that that is part of it, right? So first and foremost, if I had a personal memory to a guy, uh, the first chapter is about Mark Witten. And me going to a game with a bunch of altar servers uh, from that was, that, was, that, was an awesome, that was an awesome chapter. It was. And, <laughs> and my and and our chaperone wanted to leave in the ninth, and no one else cared, and I did care about the game, and I was not happy about it. And they wanted to, they were arguing about whether to listen like Q one or two or Y one hundred as we were walking through the parking lot, and I was just like, no, 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 like we got Mark Witten up, like we gotta we gotta listen yeah. to the game here. And I, th this is social suicide. I sat in the front seat of this of the minivan. I sat next to the mom. I mean, they were probably getting handy in, in the third row, and here I am, you know, putting on twelve ten a.m. so I could listen to the Phillies game. So, like, that's like a very distinct memory. Mark Witten uh, hit a home run in the ninth there. So, like, any story like that, KD, those guys went to the front of the line. Mike Grace was another one. I loved Ricky Otero. Like, that was oh, my yeah. guy. Yeah. I'm curious to see who you guys in the 90s, if you were attached to one guy, but Ricky Otero. Ricky Jordan. Ricky, Ricky Jordan. Jordan. That's, a great, that's a great answer there. Um, so th those guys obviously moved to the front of the line because I always – what I never wanted to do, and I hope I accomplished that in both books, is I didn't just want to go on basketball reference and baseball reference and tell you guys that so-and-so batted 275 in 1996. Anyone can do that, Right. So I, what I, I like to think about these essays and these chapters and why they're unique, unique because I'm kind of capturing my personal memories, my stories, my observations of these guys. I think that's, that's hopefully the secret sauce there. So anyone that had a personal kind of story to move to the front of the line, and then if they did something cool, right? Wilson mm -hmm. Valdez, obviously, 
Jeff Juden won someone $10,000 in a home run payoff in the grand slam. Like, <laughs> that's pretty cool, in my opinion. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, right. So, uh, stuff like that. I, I think Roger McDowell had a really interesting story, right? Just like everyone watches like VHS blooper videos uh, from the 80s. Like, he was obviously like, the, the star of those shows. Right. So, anything like that, where if a particular player did, did something different or different, unique, uh, or something unique, they were in there. My one regret is that. There's this random baseball card, you guys may remember this, of Steve Lake, the baseball card. And yes. on his shoulder is his pet parrot, Ruffles. And I, I, I just I, – I had like a notebook of like guys I was going to include. And on the top of the page, I just had Ruffles. And I had an underlined twice. <laughs> and I just kept meaning to go back and write about Steve Lake because I was just so obsessed with that card. Uh, Steve Lake did not make the book. But if there is a second version, right. Steve Lake's automatically qualifies. But – uh rest in peace and i'm sorry ruffles you, you deserve to, you deserve to be in the book <laughs> all right I'm, gl- I'm glad you gave the explanation explanation because again i was like you in the front seat of that car and i kind of banged the, i kind of banged in front of me <laughs> a couple times when i was going through the book there's a couple guys in here that are just too good now i know you have personal stories right. so i'll let it slide rico bronio too good whoa david bell, david bell too good i would argue i, I will oh, argue don carmen's too, Don Carmen's no, too david good, but we, can, we can have a fight about that David Bell, understand. everyone hates David Bell, Roy. You yes. sure he's too good? No, no, you should ask Philadelphia. No, that's a very online thing. David Bell, like, no, like, I don't know, like, because I, like, if Bon Hayes played in the Twitter era, he would be, like, be the crushed. Tobias Harris. He'd be the Tobias Harris of baseball. Yeah. Or, like, or say, like, Bobby Abreu, who, like, I don't know, like, if you actually, no, like, I think Bobby Abreu is like the anti-baseball card. Because if you actually looked at a Bobby Abreu like baseball card or on baseball reference, you'd be like, holy smokes, he's guy's great. But Hall, if you Hall of Famer Bobby Abreu, Katie. Yeah, yeah go, go, no, go. but if you yeah. saw this dude, like, I don't know, play, you knew that if it was post-seventh inning stretch, he was grounding out or, or, or a deep fly to left field. Like, I don't know. Like, but that's like, I, I think for some reason, I don't know why, like, there, maybe because there's just so many instances of just of, of memories to pop up because there's 162 games. I just still remember, like, I don't know, like, just like, I don't know, watching Terry Bo Holland and like, I don't know, saying, okay, I'm left-handed. I'm going to, and, and I think that a lot of kids playing baseball. And I think that's the connectability that we have is like so many kids our age play baseball, like am I more so than basketball. Right. I, uh, I just want to respond to that, Roy. I, David Bell, David, David Bell, Bell was really unpopular here. Was really I, I, unpopular. I understand here. that he was not a bad baseball player for for the Phillies. He was not bad. All right, we're gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna, we'll, we'll talk about this. I think he hit like, right? I think he hit like two eighty. Well, didn't he hit like two eighty nine one year? Or something, something not bad as a Philly. I think he hit two eighty nine for like a week one year. <laughs> I'm, I'm, te- like I'm, May I'm, I'm telling you. All right, okay, all right, we can we can argue uh, about David yeah. Bell. We can uh, Rico the- Bronia, I'll concede, but Thank I wanted you. to include Rico Bronia because if you think about it, he was sandwiched between Crook, Tommy, and Ryan Howard. And Rico Bronia wasn't that bad, but no one remembers, no one talks about Rico Bronia because all the other first baseman that surround him. So I thought that was a nice bridge to all those players, a pretty mm-hmm. decent first baseman who was just wasn't McGuire, wasn't Jeff Bagwell from that era. Great yeah, defensive first baseman. Great defensive first baseman. Chris Wheeler will tell you every three minutes how many runs a year Rico saves his 
He saved 100 runs a year with his glove at first base. That might have been a bit ambitious, Wheels, but who am I to argue with Chris Wheels? I'll let that slide. <laughs> uh, honestly, the two best players I think that, in, that I included in the book, only because their stops and play were so brief, was Kenny Lofton. He was only here yeah. for one year, but it was awesome. He was really good, like, yeah. He was awesome. Uh, and, then, and then he was gone. Uh, yeah. Like 335 or something. And then yeah, something gone. crazy. And Fernando Valenzuela, who was like arguably the most popular baseball player for the last 50 years, uh, came here in 1994, was really good. Yeah. Uh, and then the strike happened, and then no one ever saw him again. He ended up having a decent career in San Diego after that. His stop and flee kind of resurrected his career. But Fernando Valenzuela was insanely popular in the 80s with the Dodgers. Right. We got him. No one knew how old he was. That's like the movie. <laughs> <still Bowl>. still <laughs> like, they said Fernando Valenzuela was like 33 in 1994. I don't think anybody believed that. The LA no. Times actually printed his birth certificate, which I, there has to be like some like security. I can't do that. You yeah, know, you like, can't do that. You can't do that today. <laughs> like you might as well print a social security card, but like they actually right. LA Times printed his uh, birth certificate because his age was so in question there. So. I don't know if he was like 33 or 53 when he was here, but he was really good too. <laughs> so I think those two, way, I admit, are, are way too good for this book, but I thought their stops and play were so brief yeah. that I didn't kind of want to touch upon that. He, he was actually the first Mania. before He was before yeah. Hulkamania. He, and you're right. right. And then right before and, – and then no more Mania doesn't happen without Fernando Mania. Fernando Mania, WrestleMania, Hulkamania. In, in, <laughs> in that order. Fernando was the original. So, so again, since you I know you were talking about ruffles and kind of like these little weird backstories that you found about these guys, is there anybody in particular, any player in particular that kind of surprised you the more research you did on them when you were doing the book? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I would probably say, Roy, not so, so much I forgot about it or it just – it had been so long, but the chapter on uh, Tyler Houston really mm-hmm. was like – to kind of relive like him and Boa's like public uh, squabble, like 20 years later, like they said some nasty things about each other. And I remembered it, but I was in college and, you know, maybe it was like Thursday night, all you can drink, or I don't know what right. happened there. You must've got cut on the Thursday. Cause I didn't really remember it that well at the time, but <laughs> reliving that. And like Larry Boa, there's this one quote. And I think, I think I start the chapter on Tyler Houston about that where he just says, Tyler Houston's a loser, and you should put a picture of his face and write loser underneath in the paper. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know if he said that. So I think I was just surprised about how public that feud was. And really, Tyler Houston really got cut as a scapegoat for Pat Farrell uh, dissing uh, Larry Bowe after he hit a home run at Shea Stadium. Yeah. Uh, Pat Farrell hit a home run. Larry Bow went out to greet him at the top of the stairs, and uh, Barrel took another entrance into the dugout. And uh, basically, Boa and, and the coaches were pissed, and he told Ed Wade that he had to do something, and he thought Tyler Houston was behind it, and he got cut the next day. So that's kind of like – and really, KD, you know where I'm going. This That's the curtain call. Triple H got pissed. <laughs> everybody was gone and Shawn Michaels was the champion. You can't, oh cut, you, you can't cut Pat Farrell. He was a Shawn Michaels uh, everyone else was gone, and Tyler Houston was the scapegoat for Tyler. I thought that story was just so crazy because I was just finding article after article, and just like having, you know, Tyler Houston was, I think, for the most part, like being professional about it. But then Larry Bell would just trash him, and then Tyler mm-hmm. Houston would go to some reporter and say, "Oh yeah, here's what really happened." And Tyler Houston never played in major leagues again, and he actually was hitting like he's betting like 440 as a pinch hitter that year, and hmm. never got another job. Wow. 
No, yeah, it's it's amazing because again, baseball has tons of these stories. Though, like, there's tons of these stories if you kind of look hard enough, you know, with baseball. And again, maybe they resonate a little bit with us because again, we kind of grew up, you know, following that sport as as closely as we did. Um, I know when you're doing the you were doing the Sixers Odyssey, you were kind of like reaching out to different people. You were trying to find little nuggets about different things, the whole Rodney Buford, the sheriff story, and all that stuff. Um, any any kind of stories like that, you know, in this book? Have you did you reach out to any players or anybody who might know a player or anything like that? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. Un- I'm un- I've been unsuccessful reaching out to players. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but my Twitter is at Where's Ben Rivera. I've been trying to track down Ben Rivera. <laughs> the thing is, he's not even that hard to find. I just can't get him to respond back. So it's like right, right. it's not even like he's JD Salinger, like he's a recluse. Like Ben <laughs> Rivera is on Twitter. Like he works right. in Florida. He's like a pitching coach for Mo Vaughn of all people's like baseball academy. Like right, it's all right, coming right. full circle. Uh, so I have contacted Ben. I just can't get Ben to get back to me. I was so desperate. I thought about this actually. Uh, Mo Vaughn has a baseball academy for kids. And mm-hmm. I thought about just uh, booking a pitching lesson and just get <laughs> myself down there. Right? Yeah. Because Katie and Roy, you know, if you're left-handed, you can pitch in the majors forever, right? You know, as long as you can get lefties out there. So I want to see if Ben, you know, what he thought about my stuff. Uh, but then I was like, boy, am I going to fly down to Florida in the middle of a pandemic and uh, get a pitching lesson at a kid's baseball academy? I'll have a lot of questions to answer for. So uh, yeah, I decided against it. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I tried there uh, to reach out to some players. Uh, Don Carmen was one where there's actually a, a really good baseball book written last year called The Wax Pack. Uh, the premise mm-hmm. is pretty uh, is pretty smart and pretty uh, uh, pretty genius where he opened up uh, – the author opened the pack of 1986 baseball cards and went out to meet each person in that pack. Yeah, and yeah, uh, one of the players that. in that pack is uh, <laughs> Don Carmen. So hearing about his back, uh, his background story was really good friends with Darren Dalton, actually. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. he, was, uh, he was by his uh, bedside when Darren passed away. Darren had brain cancer. Uh, so just stuff like that I did not expect to find out or read. Just, just reading that book, I stumbled upon the chapter on Don Carmen. So just kind of small stuff like that uh, as I was researching. Yeah, no, I mean, again, there's some, some awesome stories in this book. Again, the book is called A Phillies Odyssey, Exploring the Forgotten Players of Fightin's Yesteryear. Again, available on Amazon and all sorts of places where you get great books like that. Now, again, you have a Phillies book in the can. You have a Sixers book in the can. What's next? Is there something next coming? Is there anything, you know, kind of on the, on the stove kind of that you can talk about? Maybe not talk Sleep. about or. I'm tired. I'm tired for sure. So I think I'm going to sleep for a little bit. Uh, I'm going to hang out with my wife to see how, you know, just dial it back as if it was 2019 and before when I used to hang out with her all the time here. Uh, I think an Eagles would be next. I think that would be the, the natural transition. I don't know enough about the Flyers. I can only write about 50,000 words on Joel Otto or Pat Falloon. So anybody that wants to King Flyers Joel Odyssey <laughs> – I'm pretty sure the Flyers race. Twitter would buy like 40,000 copies of that. Of that I don't deny it, but it won't be written by me. So if anybody wants to write a Flyers <laughs> Odyssey, give me 5% of royalties for the branding name, <laughs> yes. and, and it's all yours. But I think an Eagles Odyssey, uh, I also just kind of – I wonder if there's too many players or if maybe I focus on individual games. Uh, where I can cover a bunch of different players in a game format. Because, again, now you're, now you're talking 52-man rosters. Right, right. And now it's just like, do I neglect the offensive line altogether? It's a whole can of worms there. So uh, that would probably be my natural uh, next step for a book there. But right now, Roy, I think I'm going to take it easy. Uh, I've been watching a lot so, of shows on Netflix. There's a lot of good TV out. Who knew? For the last yeah, two yeah. years, I haven't seen any of it. So it's been nice. 
I've been watching the Sixers, you know, plod their way to a seven seed. It's been wonderful. So, so, so Dave Remington, you'll probably have another year or two before you see your name in a book. Hank Fraley, no, you know what? <laughs> we um, need, so we yeah. need, we need a producer. And like, you probably know, like a writer, like, I don't know. He, he worked for Liberty Bar or something. We need to put this in like a show. The like five little Dave, like, I don't know, not Dave, like little Dicky Dave, but little Dave, like, I don't know, like watching, like, I don't know, like a Panasonic. 27 inch it wasn't that big TV. that wasn't that big okay. again when they were playing and when they were playing nhl 93 like the tv was kind of little i mean again like you know, it's, it's <laughs> well, it wasn't that big it wasn't that, it wasn't I that big just like i don't know now who was your favorite your favorite philly growing up uh my favorite philly growing up gosh it might have been ricky otero or mike grace like we're talking about a, a more well-known player it had to be someone from the 93 team probably crook you know okay. who didn't love crook right but it was just crazy. They're such a flash in the pan, that team. It's like hard yeah. to even like, they were. researching. Like, 92, they weren't good. In 94, they were awful. Right. And then they weren't good again for, like, 13 years. It's just so crazy that just they just flash in the pan. But I think so many people kind of fell in love with the team because of that uh, of the franchise, because of that one year, that one team. Like, that brought everybody in because before that and after that, they didn't win anything. No. But it's just like I think that was always like this optimism that was created, like you know, the spring training optimism, where it's just like, yeah, on paper they don't look good, but Roy, if if you're 18 and 10 after April, I'll talk myself into anything, right? Because <laughs> exactly, you know, 1993 we have that precedent there. So uh, I think probably Crock was my favorite there, but uh, of the lesser known guys, God, I love I love Ricky Otero, man. For two weeks, I <laughs> thought he was like the next big thing. Uh, Tony Longmire was definitely up there. I love Rico Bronia. Yeah. I, I feel insulted that Roy said he's too good because now, too I'm good. Like, Dave, too he good. was too good. Why did you include him? But I did love Rico Bronia. Uh, Doug Landville's not in the book, but uh, I, I he's too him. good. He's he too, was good. too good. I mean, his all base percentage would disagree with you, Roy, but how many runs did he save in the outfield for you? That's, that's the question, you know. I'll ask Chris Wheeler. Uh, exactly. Speaking, speaking of that, um, Jeremy Giambi is in the book. Jeremy Giambi is on a, on a team for a half year. He was fantastic for us. And I wanted to include him for that sole reason is that nobody remembers him on the Phillies. Uh, right. He was only on a team for a half year in 2002. I don't know why Billy Bean gave us Giambi because he's definitely a Billy Bean type guy. I don't know why we got him for John Mabry. I don't know why yeah. anybody wanted John Mabry, but Jeremy Giambi had like a 450 on base percentage. And slugs like he had like an OPS of like 980, and then we <laughs> traded him because why? Why would we keep a good player around? What sense does that make? And I'm glad I'm glad you didn't go with the low hanging fruit at the beginning of that Giambi chapter, the, the whole wrong brother thing. I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't take that. Didn't take that bait. I appreciate I didn't that. Need to. You know, again, you, could, the, you could go. You know, Mike Maddox. I mean, we could go right. get off like a bunch of those dudes. I'm glad you the didn't book, take that. The book would have been twenty thousand uh, words longer if I just started naming every brother that we had that wasn't going to be a regular. <laughs> I'm above that, Roy. I like to think that I know I you are. myself to a higher standard. I know you are. <laughs> I, I, absolutely. Uh, since we're talking baseball, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, I want to ask you about this year's team. Because, um, again, again, you don't watch baseball as much as you used to. But, again, the Phillies had a nice entertaining-ish season. Um, Bryce Harper won the MVP. Um, is it fool's gold? Do we have something to be excited about in Philly again with the baseball team? Or, or what do you think? It's it's hard to fathom that we had the MVP and arguably the guy who should have won the NL Cy Young. And we're so far away. Yeah. It really speaks volumes about the other 23 guys, uh, to be honest. I mean, they need a lot of help. 
the the back end of the rotation. They need some guys. They need some arms. The bullpen they got to sort out. And I and I get it. I'm not like a, we need to have a closer and he gets the ball no matter what. But you got to have somebody who can consistently get people out in the ninth. Way too many blown saves. Short stops, a huge hole. Yeah. Third base is a huge hole. Center field was the worst assortment of players I've ever seen trotted out in one position <laughs> in my life. Like I'm here, like I would take 53 year old Kenny Lofton in center field right now and not even blink twice because I know to get on base at at least a 320 clip. Right. So God, it, it's but a Carper, it's just you know there's an equivalent with Embiid is like these are his prime years, and ownership and the management's got to do a better job of getting some better players around them. I just don't know how with how good Atlanta is and how young they are. Same thing uh, with, you know, look at the Marlins. They're up and coming. Uh, we can't beat them anyway. Even when they stink, we can't beat them. Uh, the Mets obviously are throwing money at a bunch of problems they have there. Uh, you know, the Nationals, they got Soto. So it's hard to, like, say, like, where are we? Are we just treading water and it's going 81 and 81 every year? I think there's a, a, a lot to be said, Roy, and you know it's better than anybody because we were ready for Liberty Bowls at the same time as this Phillies outfit. That's going mm-hmm. 500 every year with the Doug Collins teams that yeah. they weren't bad, but they weren't great. And you didn't want right. winning anything, right. you know, right. the, you know, they'll yeah. go 81 and 81, you know, in September, there are three games out and then just, it's, it's just tough. They need, they need a lot of, they need a lot yeah. of players. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so the relief pitching is terrible. They're, you know, the middle of the infield is terrible. Center field is terrible. But other than that, everything else is great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right field, they're in good shape in right field. Catch, catcher. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, right field, they're great. Yeah. So that yeah. Game. The number two story may not be any good anymore. We don't know how good Noel is, but other than that, yeah, they're fine. Now, Dave, do you like I don't know, like because you run the gamut of watching baseball 20, 25 years ago to now. Can you still enjoy baseball? Like the the actual process, like I don't know, the way that it's played, like right. the like the the shift. Like, I don't know. There are just things that have made baseball less aesthetically pleasing me personally like i just like i find like maybe because like i thought as i would get older i would appreciate the monotony and like the process but i don't i i I find it repulsing how do you feel about the game right now right i think it's an acquired taste right now i think the games are way too long way too long and if you look Mm -hmm. at and it's i think it's just a problem that baseball has in general right and katie you mentioned something i'll get back to your point in a second about Guys who hit 40 home runs, you don't even know who hit 40 home runs anymore. Baseball does a really poor job of just promoting their stars. Yes. Yeah. Right? There's probably these great guys in the AL, these young guys at 40 home runs, and no one has any idea. They do a yeah. poor job of that. But, you know, when you look at how late each playoff game started, they're starting these games around 9 o'clock. They're going routinely over four hours. How are kids supposed to watch it? How are 37-year-olds with the two-year-olds supposed to watch it? You know, like I'm in bed by the third inning. So I, I, they have to address that. They have to address speeding the game up. I do think the fact that having pitchers having to face minimal three batters certainly helps. Because gosh, I remember what 2010 uh, when we lost to the Giants. When it was oh Howard Utley are out, here comes one of these seven lefties in the bullpen to face those guys and in or out of the game. So they, I think they have to pick it up pace a little bit. Yeah, the shift that doesn't really bother me. It just kind of is what it is, right? I think that's just a, a schematic advantage there, but. God, they have to pick up pace there. I think they're just really having a hard time just attracting a younger audience. And the NBA does such a better job just promoting their individual stars 
NFL is the same way and just baseball is just really lagging behind there and just their fan base is just getting older and older. Right? It's something that they really have to address. Yeah. And, and again, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like the baseball has, you know, well, they had a, you know, the kind of, I won't say the stranglehold, but they had, you know, all the guys of our age, you know, we grew up with baseball. Like that was like the, the premier sport for, you know, a bunch of us in the. And know, then the strike happened. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, and it took 25 away to 44 Montreal range. Expos. World Series and I ah uh, 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 the Chicago White Sox World Series. You saw wow. what Frank Thomas was doing. You saw what no, Frank man. Thomas was doing that no, year. No, I mean Delino, Larry, three seventeen, forty one twenty eight. Like Frank was raking that year, man. No, people don't realize <laughs> pre Red Sox, Pedro Martinez was as damn good as as oh he was as yeah. the Red Sox version. Yeah, no, no, no he's he's fantastic. No, but yeah, like it's 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 like baseball had a stranglehold on you know again guys of our generation. 25 years ago maybe not even that that long ago and then now i don't say it's an afterthought but again like you said like we should we are the guys who really should know the bit the, you know the best guys right. in baseball not named yeah. like trout and you know shohei otani and things like that and we don't and like and that's i don't think that's ever coming back but sadly and if you think about it how popular and how well known and maybe this is just nostalgia talking my childhood but ken griffey everyone knew ken griffey mm-hmm. mike trout Honestly, I think some people couldn't pick out of a lineup. And Mike Trout legitimately may be one of the best, five best players ever. Ever. If Fernando Tatis went to my Chick-fil-A, I don't know. I don't know if I would, (laughs) or a J.D. Like, I don't know J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez could be right next to me. I would see some 6'3 man. I'd be like, what's up? Like, but (laughs) no, and I think like, and I... Me and Roy talk about this a lot. Like, I I feel like it's very regional. We're like, I don't know, you know, like I don't know, like your guys because they're at like the local Chevy dealership, or like I don't know, like they're doing Wawa commercials. But no, it, it's like it, they're just not national. Like, I I don't I could not tell you what that like like Vladimir Guerrero's kid looks like. I don't right, and I I agree with that, and I guess there's something oh well, Mike Trout plays in Anaheim. Right, if you play for the Yankees or play for Boston, maybe a different story. Right, but Griffey was in Seattle, right? Like, yeah. right? Like, it wasn't like that Ken Griffey was in this huge market and he was on the West Coast. Like, obviously, and maybe it's just because baseball was just in general more popular when we were kids in the 90s than it is today. But like, right. obviously, it's been done before. But like, Mike Trout should be everywhere, you know, like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. should be everywhere, Otani should be everywhere. And Otani's obviously got a, a huge international following as well, but mm-hmm. like there's other guys, they're just, they're just not. He's done a poor job of just prom- promoting them, and uh, until they get that address, it's just it's, a, it's an uphill battle. Yeah, no, it definitely is, and it's even it's even worse when you know the uh, the the commissioner says you know we're not even a national sport, or we don't market yeah. these guys nationally. Like when you come out and say you know we only market our guys regionally, I mean you kind of shoot yourself in the foot because again right. you have guys that you can market or should be able to market on a national basis. Um, Dave, we cannot have you on without talking basketball because, again, you, of course, the author of A Sixers Odyssey, which, again, for those listening, you can purchase that as well wherever you buy that too. You yeah, buy sure. books. <laughs> Absolutely right. Um, you you briefly mentioned Joel Embiid when we were doing having the Bryce Harper discussion, you know, because, again, the, the question is how how long is how open is this window or how long is this window with Joel Embiid? And the question, I mean, it's kind of hard to say because, again, Joel Embiid has a long history of injury problems and this whole Ben Simmons thing kind of throws a cloud over things. So, let me ask you a question. How many more years do you think the Sixers have of Joel Embiid's prime? Because I don't think it's that many, and you might be burning one with this whole Ben Simmons situation. Right. Three? 
was he 27, 28? I think he's 28. Oh, I just yeah, can't imagine, right? Like just a seven foot one guy in his 30s just maintaining that same level okay. of pace, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Managing that workload. Man, this Ben Simmons thing is just so depressing. I just, <laughs> I was, I was talking to one of my coworkers the other day. I don't even know what state Ben Simmons is in. Like, I don't know if he's in Philly <laughs> or if he's in LA. Like, because you'll hear it because some story pop up where he's training, and then you'll hear about him for like weeks. And I'm just like, where is Ben Simmons? Like, I need like a Where's Waldo book. Like, find mm-hmm. the six foot ten point guard that was like, you know, cowering in a corner in Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Semifinals. I don't know where Ben Simmons is, and it's just so depressing. But until they sort that out, until they get a return for him, this team just unfortunately is not going anywhere. The NBA is not like baseball or NFL, where a wild card team can make a run. In the NBA, right. you don't make a run. If you ain't any good, you're not. You're not yeah. going anywhere. And unfortunately, this Sixers team, this this you get all the vibes from that team in the in the COVID bubble where they got swept by Boston. I just can't imagine. Maybe depending on the matchup they get out of the first round is currently constructed, but they're right. gonna need some help. It's gonna be a slog and whoever they play in the second round is gonna beat them badly. No, I think yeah. yeah, no, I think you like I I mean I people just forget about the chemistry factor and and like I don't know, just bringing it back to baseball. That Phillies team did that. Ninety-three Phillies team did not have a lot of talent. They had Lenny. They had Kurt, who was pitching out of his mind and crazy Mitch. But you know what? They just played well, well together. And like as much as basketball is this individual sport, you got to have decent vibes. And the vibes, like I don't know. And I think they, I think everyone tried to like bring this solidified front, like I don't know, in the beginning to say, yo, like let's let's do this in spite of Ben. But I, I mean, you just. You just – you didn't replace him. He's just sitting – he's playing Call of Duty. And, like, right. I don't know, you did – like, I mean, I think people are just trying to, like – because me personally, like, I just uh, – tomorrow the NBA season starts unofficially for me because right. that's when you can officially trade this guy and, like, kind of move on. It's just like they're playing with a handicap, right? They have, yeah. a, max, they have a max player – who they don't have all that money is just dead money right now because that person isn't playing. Oh, I thought you were talking about Ben Simmons, not Tobias Harris. Dude. Right. <laughs> you know what's crazy to me about uh, Sixers Twitter? I love Sixers Twitter, but like I'm but. not. I don't. <laughs> yeah, but, there's a big but. but. Yeah. I'm not that reactionary about regular season Sixers because there's so many. Right. There's 10, 15 games a year where the Sixers look like they don't care, but that's every NBA team. They just kind of go through the motions. Uh, based off my son's schedule, as I very rarely, and when he goes to bed, I rarely, rarely catch the first half of the Sixers game anymore. Mm-hmm. But the third quarter, as I'm like cleaning up or doing some work, I'm checking Twitter, and I will see just comment after comment about Tobias Harris. He's the worst Max player ever. Trade him for anything. I can't look at Tobias Harris anymore. <laughs> Has Moss made a jumper in the last six months? Mm-hmm. And I'll put on the Sixers game, and they're beating the Hornets by eight. And I'm like, well, <laughs> and I'm expecting these guys to be down 35. And I get it. it. It's it's not pretty basketball, Tobias. I I feel bad for Tobias because he is a max player who's not a max player who should be a third option, right. but is forced to be the second option because they have another max player who's playing Call of Duty somewhere. And uh, right, so I think where t- Tobias is an easy target given those circumstances. But if you had another player here. Tobias's, uh, you know, transgressions will be less noticeable. But that being said, he is a max player. 
He's got to do more, but no, I feel like this is Danny I feel like this is Danny Tartable all over again. Like I know, <laughs> I feel that like there are all there's always gonna be like I don't know the big free agency or big salary whipping boy. Like I don't right. know. I still remember when Greg Jeffries came here. Like yeah. like I don't know. Like because the Phillies had a lot of big free agent signings that didn't pan out. I mean, Danny Tartable, I feel is just the is just the poster boy for bad free agent signings pre Harris, of course. You know, what he had three at bats or three games actually the day before he he had a foul ball off his toe and then no one ever said. I actually thought about including a chapter on Danny Partable and just saying three games in he hit a foul ball off his toe and never heard from him again and just moving on to the next chapter. But (laughs) I was like, I don't know, like would people like get the bit or think that's lazy? So I decided against it. But uh, I thought about it for a hot minute there. But I was like, because I really want to write. A thousand words on Danny Tarbell either. So right, yeah, like there wasn't a thousand words to write about him <laughs> right. in his career. So it's like, yeah, he found the ball a quick run. and that's it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, all right, uh, we only have a couple minutes left. So before we let you go, please take a minute or so, just kind of give people kind of like the little synopsis of the book and and tell them why they should kind of go out and, and check it out. Yeah, uh, so the book's a Phillies Odyssey, exploring the forgotten players of fightings yesteryear. It is a collection of essays. Hopefully funny. Uh, they certainly tend to be funny on forgotten random Phillies from the last uh, 25, last 30 years. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, bookshop.org, any online retailer. I also wrote a Sixers Odyssey uh, if you're a hoops guy or hopefully a fan of both. Uh, same idea there. So they're intended to be funny, right? I did not want to uh, write a book that is just me reciting stats or batting averages. There, that was never my intent. And uh I hopefully uh, capture that to uh, make it funny and humorous and quick reads. Uh, someone on Reddit once wrote about the, the Sixers Odyssey and said it's a perfect bathroom book. And at first I was pretty insulted. Uh, and then I told my wife how horrified I was that I spent all this time and wrote a quote unquote bathroom book. And my wife goes, well, at least they're reading it. And I go, touche. So uh, read it wherever you want. <laughs> It's the perfect. It's the perfect bathroom book. It's the perfect train book. It's the perfect. No, no I'm saying like it's like if you have if you it have is like, the perfect train book because yeah. in preparation for this, that's what I and, and instead of listening to my depressing like bony bear music the last couple of days on the train, yeah, we, I, we, we, I, I, I I I've been reading this. Yeah, no, it's 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 no, it's it's you know, it's a really quick, really smart book. Again, you can knock out a couple chapters in like ten or fifteen minutes, and again, it's like it kind of brings you back to the day because again, like. And it, and you know, kudos to you for kind of tying it all into. There's a couple of Sixers little nuggets in there as well, but it kind of brings you back into like the childhood, or, you know, the things that you kind of grew up with again. And, and a lot of that stuff, at least for at least I think for this generation, is missing. But again, like a lot of the stories that you told in the book, again, like I wasn't, you know, obviously I wasn't there with you, but I can kind of relate to a lot of those stories because again, as a Phillies fan, you know, I grew up watching these guys, these same guys, and you know, you know, wherever we wherever we were as Phillies fans, whether we were you know watching the game on Sports Channel. We're up in the 700 level again. We can kind of all relate to these guys. So um, it's an awesome, awesome book. Um, again, I'm only about halfway through, but I will knock this out during the Christmas weekend. And I'm looking forward to this, just like I look forward to Sixers Odyssey. Kudos on an awesome book, Dave. Um, Thanks, Dave. If Eagles, Odyssey, if Eagles Odyssey comes out or whenever Eagles Odyssey comes out, please, you're welcome to join. You're welcome to join us anytime. But again, keep the whole Bret Hart stuff kind of in the, in the closet, please. I'll the see you dun- next week. The Dungeon Odyssey. <laughs> the Dungeon Odyssey. Yeah, the yeah, the Duke the Dumpster Drossy um, um, <laughs> chapter. Looking 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 forward to that one. So but, don't um, tell no, me. Don't <laughs> exactly. Again, Dave Ruder. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Where's Ben Rivera. If anybody out there can get in contact with former Phillies pitcher Ben Rivera, 
please let us know. Hit us up, any of us. SKD215 at the BS line at where's Ben Rivera. If Ben Rivera's on Cameo, let us know. Chris and I will pay for a Cameo oh, no, for days. No, no. I have days. a book to send him. I have a copy of the book to send you, <laughs> Ben Rivera. Say the word. You know what, man? I like. In between looking for, like, I don't know, like, Iris and hoodies, I think I'm going to look to see if Ben Rivera's on Cameo. And thank God you didn't do go down for that baseball camp because it would have been real. Like, you would have ended up on the news being, like, some strange man, like, yeah, that's like a, a kid's yeah. camp. Like, I don't know. Yeah. That, that that was very wise for you to turn that down. Uh, Mr. Rivera, <laughs> my Twitter handle is at Where's Ben Rivera. It's a long story, but believe me, I'm completely harmless. He's a big right, Eagles fan. He is a big Eagles fan, so we got that going. It's awesome, awesome. But Dave, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much, Dave. Always a great time. Thanks for having me. Want to know the secret to a great night's sleep? It's purple. Why? Because only purple mattresses have the Gel Flex grid. It's the reason why purple mattresses are soft where you want it, firm where you need it, and instantly respond to movement. The Gel Flex grid flexes around pressure points to support your whole body, no matter how you sleep. Plus, the Gel Flex grid is 80% air. It breathes, so you're not too hot or too cold. Learn more about purple mattresses and the Gel Flex grid at purple.com. Purple, reinventing sleep.